Hey there, welcome to episode five of Science and Society. I'm Drew, a med student fitness junkie. And I'm Liv, a beauty queen turned biochemistry PhD candidate. We're two nerds on a mission to break down the science around us so you can apply it in your life. On today's episode, we're speaking with social media guru, Dr. Ariel Shenza. Whether you've never sent a tweet or have thousands of Instagram followers, there's always something new to learn. All right, let's get after it. Dr. Ariel Shenza is currently an assistant professor at the University of Pittsburgh and a biostatistician in the School of Health and Rehabilitation Sciences. Previously, she spent 10 years as a research scientist and statistician in the Center for Research on Media, Technology, and Health in the Division of General Internal Medicine in the School of Medicine. There, Dr. Shenza was involved in research investigating the intersection of media and health, most recently focusing on social media and mental health. She has been fortunate enough to be a part of a dynamic, multidisciplinary research team that makes Chasing Science fun. And you know what? That's what it's all about. Welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you. Thank you for having me. So in your research, what has been something that has surprised you the most or has intrigued you the most in your search of social media and how it affects us? Well, I think, you know, we began this search um, probably about five or six years ago, or this investigation, in a very exploratory way. And we really did not have any hypotheses about what we would find. You've talked about in previous episodes, the power of social connection and how important it is to health. So I think we went into it with an open mind. And I certainly did about, you know, this could be really good for people. But then again, there have been some reports, mostly in the lay media, that it had a negative effect. So we were really excited to find out what was going on. I think it's so fascinating. This is such a new, you know, field, I guess we could call it, or a new research topic. I think I remember Instagram becoming Instagram when I was in middle school. So it's something I I definitely remember the growth of social media and the growth of its importance in our daily lives. And actually, I don't know if you caught this when you were looking at our bios. I'm currently Miss Illinois USA. So social media is a really big part of what I do. And I've experienced some of the greatest pros of social media and the greatest cons of social media myself. And it's really interesting to see even how different platforms, I think, impact me differently. I would say that I've never felt worse about myself after going on Twitter or Reddit. But there have been times where I open Instagram and when I'm closing the app, I almost wish I never even went there in the first place. Yeah, and I think your experience really kind of um, illustrates a lot of our findings, which is that the experience is so varied depending upon the user and how the user engages, but also depending on the platform. There are so many different platforms. I mean, Facebook among teens and young adults is almost obsolete now or moving in that direction. But when we first started our research, it was almost solely based upon Facebook. So yeah, we have found, I think what's been so surprising is that while the abundance of our findings have indicated that there is a negative effect on mental health, I think the experiences are very, very personalized and really require one to kind of be introspective about their own experiences as you are. I'm just not sure everyone is able to do that. So I'm glad to know that you are. It's definitely a work in progress too. It's a pretty quick rabbit hole. It is. It is. Have you by chance watched the documentary on Netflix called The Social Dilemma? I'm not sure if I have. If it's old, then I have. If it's recent, I have not. No, I think it came out actually in the last couple of months, possibly. And we just watched it actually the other night, and 
it is terrifying to say the least. They talk about how these platforms that were designed to bring people together have over time done the opposite actually and kind of pulled people apart by making people addicted to likes and favorites and retweets and things of that nature. So you're chasing that new goal. It's like a game instead of actually fostering community or connections with people you've never met on the internet. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to watch it, although it does sound terrifying. It's nothing that I think we don't know. Right. And I think one of my early papers was looking at kind of problematic social media use. Um, At first we called it addictive and then realized we really didn't have the authority to call it an addiction, but problematic use. And kind of like you said, people who are really chasing those metrics and it was associated with increased depression risk, which is not surprising. Um, And I think, you know, another part of social media and Liv, you alluded to this is that in a way, you know, most of us are not posting the everyday nitty gritty we're posting curated, idealized versions of ourselves and in our lives. I know, you know, I have limited social media use, but I certainly don't post a picture of myself first thing in the morning. I normally post kind of like happy family moments or, you know, I don't post things of like me screaming at my kids. And I think for young adults, that might be even more amplified, just, you know, the vacations. Now there are so many different filters. And I think that that can lead to this misperception and really, you know, detrimental sense of social comparison rather than social connectedness for some people. I remember Instagram rolled or attempted to roll out. I'm not sure if they actually have pushed this feature anymore, if they've decided to take it back completely. But they had tried rolling out this feature for a couple of its bigger users where you couldn't see the number of likes. I think at some point Kim Kardashian, I have a, actually don't follow Kim Kardashian on Instagram, but I think someone big enough to be on the level of Kim Kardashian did not have the number of likes visible on their Instagram page. What's your opinion on that? Do you think that might be a potential solution? Oh, you know, I have varying opinions about that. I mean, I think that it's our personal choice to be on social media. But I also know that there are some very vulnerable social media users. So while I do applaud that effort, and I think it would be a cool experiment, you know, from a research perspective, I'm also not sure that may be kind of, you know, taking away some of the own personal judgment. I think for teens, that might be a really good idea. But I'm also not a huge advocate for, um, I don't know, censorship in some ways. I mean, you know, in terms of like spreading fake news and misinformation, absolutely. But I do think we have to learn to kind of take a media literacy approach. Are you familiar with that? No. So media literacy has been used to combat tobacco ads and other other kind of media advertisements. Um, And I think with social media, if we can teach people to be discerning users and really think about it kind of like you have, you know, after I scroll through my feed, how is it making me feel? Do I feel more connected with my peers and my world in a positive way? Or do I feel kind of down? Do I feel badly about myself? And so maybe rather than regulating social media um, per se, which I think is just, you know, (laughs) chasing a moving target, I think we really need to teach our teens, teach ourselves how to really kind of um, evaluate how we're feeling when and after we use social media. And you know, something that, that was positive in that Social Dilemma documentary and something that really intrigued Drew and I was that social media and social media users are 
an experiment that provides its own feedback really, really quickly. It is so easy for these social media companies and these really big tech companies to try a new feature or try something different and immediately, just by what the user does, know whether or not that feature increased engagement or decreased engagement or whether they clicked on the ad or if they didn't click on the ad. And it is really, really cool. It is like this living body of information and experimentation. So I think that is actually a pretty cool feature. I mean, it is a little scary to think that as we're scrolling through our phone, someone is sitting at their desk, like analyzing what we're doing and crunching numbers and figuring out what changes they want to make next. But it is kind of cool. It's, I think, the first time in human history and the only time in human history we've been able to collect information so quickly. Yeah, I agree. I think it's really fascinating. I think it is also scary, though, because I think the intention of all social media platforms, like all businesses, is to keep us engaged and consuming. And I also would love to see the results of those experiments. <laughs> like, where right. are they published? Right. Well, I'm, I'm not sure if they refer to it as necessarily like experiment, like research paper, published in a journal type of research, but more of like iterations and iterative, like almost like business types of techniques to improve the product or make it more addicting and pe- get people to use it more whether that's like targeted ads or certain notifications. I'm certain there's plenty of ways that they're doing that. And the speed at which it's happened is crazy because like we were talking earlier, like in the early days of Instagram, it was, it was just kind of like you post a picture of your tree at Christmas time. If you celebrate that, or if you're at the beach, you know, a picture of the beach. And now it's like, got to have the right lighting, got to have the right colors in there. Do I have my product that I'm sponsoring in there? There's just so much that's... I feel attacked. Drew. It's <laughs> it's so layered now. And it's, it, it, I mean, it's, it's not just like any one of us in particular, just how the app has formed and developed. And it's happened faster than I think a lot of other, pretty much any other social iteration connection type of thing in our lifetimes in history, maybe. Yeah, I agree. I agree, which I think is why it's such an important subject to keep talking about and researching. And um, yeah. So I like that you called social media a moving target. And I definitely agree with that label of it. I mean, even in the last couple of years, even like those Instagram filters, those are pretty recent. They're crazy, too. Holy cow. I mean, I could look like three different people within the span of five minutes with those things. But it changes so rapidly. I mean, how quickly we went from MySpace to Facebook to Instagram to Snapchat to like all these things are, you know, and they're always evolving and adding features and they've all essentially kind of become these really overlapped apps. But it has its pros, I think, too. I mean, it is a pretty scary like entity to think about sometimes. But what are some of the positives you found in your research about social media use? Sure. So um, you bring up a great topic, the positive, and, and there are many And so I have found overwhelmingly that people report it as a vehicle for social connection. And as your previous guests have mentioned, and we all know, social connection has a powerful influence on health, health behaviors, particularly mental health. Um, And particularly, I mean, how can we not mention the current state of our world? We are really socially isolated. And so while there have been some questionable reports about the influence of social media right now, the increased use of, especially for young girls, I think I would never say it's a negative. I I mean, I know I'm using it more to connect with people because I can't see them. And I think we desperately need that source of social connection. So that has been one thing that I have heard 
and found throughout our studies. I actually think that that's really important too. My most of my family lives in Poland, so the only way I even see them most of the time, unless I'm skyping them, is on Facebook. You know what I mean? I only see photos. I only see updates of how my cousins are doing, or if they're going to school, or what my grandma's up to. Only really if it's posted on social media. And it's kind of a nice reminder that those people are there and that those people are around and that they're doing things. And it was kind of cool to see how different their life was over the past couple months compared to life in the U.S. But, you know, without Facebook, really, I wouldn't have a great way to not only to see what they're up to, but for them to see what I'm up to. I mean, I guess I could Facebook message them. But again, it comes back to Facebook being the best tool to communicate with them overseas. And I think that's also with you know, both our families and our friends because we graduated virtually in June. And because of that, like some of our friends who might even be living in Chicago still where we both are located, there's like no good way to see them necessarily. Or it's just, it's tough because even if you do like meet up for like a meal or something, you're like six feet apart. And like the last time you saw them, you were, you know, you were bumping shoulders and, you know, belting out, I don't know, Mr. Brightside or something. I couldn't tell you. It's like not even a continuum. The only continuum you've had of change is with people you've been closest to. But like that second degree of separation, those that, that friends in that circle, it, it's kind of been start and stop. And there's, there hasn't been that bridge in between. So it feels very jarring right now. Jarring is a good word to describe how right now feels. <laughs> yeah, social connection. That has been a theme that we have found continuously through our research, staying connected with close friends. I did a study where I was looking at uh, social media use among college students, and I found that the larger the proportion of your friends and followers on social media who were close friends, you had a decreased risk of depression, whereas if you had a larger proportion of strangers or distant friends, there was actually an increased risk of depression. And granted, this was cross-sectional, and for those non-researchers out there, that means you can't derive causation. It's gathered at one time. But I think what this could suggest is that when we use it as a way to connect with our friends, that can be really healthy and a positive. Having a large group of followers who are strangers or following people who are strangers has been associated with some negative effects. So I think that that's another thing to keep in mind. I'm almost embarrassed to admit I had to do this, but there was a point in college where most of the people I was following were social media influencers. So, you know, these people with massive followings who were absolutely beautiful people, of course, I can't take that away from them, but you know, their life was sponsored trips and sponsored this and vacations and photo shoots and free products and amazing clothes and all these crazy things. And I'm sitting there in the middle of organic chemistry, just sad about my state compared to theirs. But it's so hard sometimes to filter out that that is someone's career, that this girl is paid to do this. And I am, that's just not my career path. Therefore, you know, my life should not be that way. I do think from personal experience that it kind of makes sense for how I've experienced my social media. The more I see things that relate to me and things that I know and I'm familiar with, the less I'm really emotionally impacted by it. You know, it's, it's cool to see my friends at a tailgate. It was cool to see what other people were wearing for game day at Northwestern. But as soon as I was scrolling through and it was just, you know, photos of Mexico and girls in Bali and 
these expensive like music festivals, I felt really bad about myself, you know? I don't know if Drew can relate to that, but... I'll tell you what, Liv. It, I would rather be deciding on whether I'd r- want to go to Mexico or Bali than if I'm deciding between an aldehyde and a ketone on an OCHEM test. So uh, I don't blame you for that one. That's how I felt too. <laughs> I think this is... I'm not very good at TikTok. I, I went in there, I had my little moment, and I went back out. But I think another cool part about social media and I've kind of found this more on Pinterest throughout my life, is there's a lot of really creative ideas on there. That has kind of been my little haven in social media, is people's hacks and cool recipes and fun DIY projects. And over the peak of quarantine, meaning like March, April, May, when we were all pretty locked down, it was so fun to just scroll through TikTok and see what's the new way to make your coffee today. Honestly, I enjoyed it a lot. That was like a really fun time, I thought. Yeah, I think you touched upon another, like you're just bringing up all the relevant topics and I love it organically. You touched upon another really positive aspect of social media that we found um, reported in our studies and that is that it can be very valuable for resource sharing and information. And you know, I would say things like, you know, um, DIY projects are maybe a little bit more benign and more on the fun end of the spectrum, but also for people who are suffering from physical and mental health issues, it can be a source of support and information and resource sharing. Now, of course, that then lends itself to the other problem of misinformation. And we need to, again, go back to this media literacy concept of being discerning consumers. But yes, it is absolutely a great source of information or can be. Absolutely. I definitely think that the misinformation, the media literacy is part of like the moving target that we had talked about because, you know, 10 years ago, it wasn't really, no one was really talking about that eight, 10 years ago. But, you know, as social media has evolved, as people have gotten better at using it, both for better and worse, we have to learn how to make sure we can combat all the the negativity. And I think that's going to take a while because we were the first generation-ish that had or like the last one that had some post-pubescent life without social media a little bit and now all the kids from early on early early on are getting on these apps and they don't really understand the like the gravity of it yeah i agree and you know i think that this may be particular particularly relevant for both of you as um, burgeoning scientists and 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 clinicians, if you choose to go that route, there is a real movement right now for physicians and scientists to um, have a larger social media presence so that we can disseminate true science as opposed to misinformation. So I think there's a growing number, I follow them certainly on Twitter, of pediatricians, of physicians who are posting evidence-based medicine. That is fascinating, actually. Wow. I don't know if you've seen this, and this is a little off topic, but there are a lot of pediatricians now doing TikToks on um, vaccination. Yeah, to speak to their audience. Yeah. I mean, it is kind of interesting because if you are looking for a physician or if you're looking for a doctor of some sort and you can go to a social media page and kind of see who they are or, or see the image that they have put of themselves out there, you can kind of get a feel for whether or not you think you would like this person. You can kind of make that judgment call before even stepping into the office. I think that is obviously, again, pros and cons are always there. But I even think about 
you know, before I go to a restaurant for the first time, I go to Instagram and see if they have an Instagram page. And if they have a lot of followers, if they have really cool pictures of their food, I'm way more likely to to go there. I think I'm constantly spamming Drew with Instagram pages of cool restaurants in Chicago. My sister constantly sending me photos of dogs. You know, it's a fun way to kind of get a gauge for what you like. And I can see why people would would enjoy that and would appreciate it for for physicians. Yeah, absolutely. You are a lot more creative than I am though, Liv, because I just, you know, I find my like three restaurants I like and we don't have to go anywhere else. That's, you know, end of story. Social media has become a pretty big part of my life lately too. So I'm trying to pull the good out of it while I can, but it is very layered. I thought that was a really accurate analysis. And there are, I think we say this about a lot of things, you know, everyone's different. There's a lot of pros and cons. There's not really one hard and fast way to go about these sorts of things. Well, no, and I think social media is a part of our lives, you know, and, and I think you, you alluded to that saying that you were maybe the last generation to have had some time without it. I mean, I think that that's what we need to take into account. I mean, it's very unrealistic to think that someone is just not going to use social media for something. So even if you decide it's not going to be a part of the way that you connect with people socially, you're still going to use it for resources. You know, it's pretty difficult to get information on things these days without resorting to social media in some way. Um, So I think it's really about being able to think about how it affects us when we use different features, different platforms, keeping an open mind because it's a moving target and staying informed, you know, because it is changing. So I think that putting out information like you're doing is really important. I actually wouldn't be surprised if in a couple years down the road, the same way that kids in middle school are taught about you know, drug use and you go through driver's ed before you go get your license, you know, a structured kind of almost curriculum about social media use and safe practices, because I think a lot of kids also don't understand the consequences that can come out of improper or problematic social media use. You know, what you put on the internet pretty much is permanently there in some way, shape or form. And even if you take that down, the screenshot is man's best friend and strongest weapon at the same time. So I wouldn't be surprised. And I think this is actually a pretty, potentially a good solution to future problems in social media use, especially for, I think, what ends up being the most vulnerable age group. You know, when you look at middle schoolers and middle school girls, I think it could be kind of an interesting way of going about it, kind of navigating their journey into adulthood with like within the context of social media use and how to use it well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And right now there are existing programs and and people who go around to the schools and do um, lectures and workshops. They're primarily concentrating on the safety issue, you know, how to keep your profile um, private and protected. They're concentrating a little bit less on kind of the individual, um, personal, maybe um, mental health effects. Absolutely. And Liv, what you said about middle school girls being most vulnerable, remember the statistic from the Social Dilemma like show on Netflix? Since like 2005, suicide rates amongst middle school and like high school age girls have just gone through the roof. And that's alarming. And because of that, I, I think the curriculum, some sort of curriculum in school, whether it's part of like health class or some other way it's, it's worked in there, I, I, I think that it would be incredibly valuable just um, for society as a whole. Or even just giving girls a space to talk about what they see on social media and what they like on it and what they don't like about it. Because it really, 
isn't a space to talk about unless maybe you were doing it on social media. Like, can you talk about social media on social media? I guess you could. But it's kind of like this open world that you enter through your phone and you don't really know what you're going to like and what you're not going to like until you kind of reach that point. So I think it would be kind of a cool experiment's the wrong word, a cool method maybe, just to see if, if by guiding people into social media as they kind of approach that age, maybe it does make a difference and maybe they have more awareness about the things that can lead to that increased sense of social connection, which is awesome. And I think in middle school, especially a lot of kids, social media or not, feel a little weird, a little isolated. I was a total weirdo in middle school and I have no shame in admitting that. You know, also just to have the awareness of what could potentially go wrong and maybe not follow so many influencers and, you know, these women who are so much older than them. And as a 13 year old, you sit there and you want to be traveling the world with your friends and attending all these amazing concerts and events and wearing these expensive clothes. But the reality is like you're sitting in Algebra 2 and you're 13 years old and this is your life. Yeah, and I think, you know, so my research has been mostly on young adults, so I'm not going to speak from an evidence-based research perspective on middle schoolers. However, personally, I can speak to that as I have one. And one of the things that I've emphasized, you know, there are these movements all over the internet, like, you know, waiting until you're in eighth grade or 13 to use social media, which, you know, most of the time I think they require that. But I think what I have tried to emphasize is, you know, middle school is awkward. Being a teenager is awkward. So let's first learn how to interact socially face-to-face, where we can read each other's cues for the most part before you take it online and you have an audience and a record because you can't take it back. And so that has been something I've tried to emphasize in my family. It's just, and it's more difficult now because we aren't face-to-face as much, but the two are not equal. And that was actually some of my PhD dissertation work was comparing face-to-face emotional support to that derived from social media. So that's kind of my personal area of interest. Can you give us a little elevator pitch of what your dissertation was? Yeah, it was a little while ago, so I'm getting a little rusty and COVID has gotten to my <laughs> but basically, I sought out to, you know, see is emotional support, which is basically like the sciency word for friendship and companionship and the warm, good feelings we get from intimate relationships. But basically, if we feel like we get it from social media, is that as good as if we feel like we get it from face-to-face relationships? If it's perceived, why not? And what I found was it's not consistent with, you know, a large body of research, face-to-face emotional support was very protective against depression among young adults, whereas those young adults who perceived high levels of emotional support from social media were at a greater risk for depression. Again, cross-sectional, and I can um, theorize why I think I found these, but it does point to the fact that they're not the same. Right. True. I think you wanted to ask a our little wrap-up question that we like to ask everybody. Yeah, so we, we like to ask this of everybody, but what kind of got you to being a scientist? What pushed you in that direction? How did you come to this point in life? Because we, as budding young scientists, previously in our lives, we didn't really know like what it took, like what, what that really meant, like what these different paths looked like. So we think it could be really informative and really helpful for a lot of our audience if you could kind of um, take us along your journey really briefly. 
Thanks, that's a really great and a really hard question. So for by training, I'm a quantitative methodologist and I just love, I mean, that's, I just love it. It's, it was the first, statistics was the first class where I didn't want to get up and leave. <laughs> so I followed that. And then I think as far as chasing science and making it fun, it's been all about my collaborators and my mentors. And so I would encourage you as budding scientists to find good researchers who are interested in a content area that's interesting to you and, and work with them because I really believe in team science as I alluded to in my bio. And I think that all science is better when you take a more diverse multidisciplinary approach. I'm like sitting here so excited right now because I just finished, so I just finished my first week of my program at UC and they are so big and, and so encouraging of interdisciplinary work. Obviously, this is kind of like within the biological sciences department, but they have people who work across physics and across chemistry and across psychology. So I'm sitting here, no one can see this because of course they're listening, but I get so excited when I hear that because it is so cool to me to think about how much more I will be able to learn through the people that I get to work with. And that's a really exciting thing, I think. That has been my experience through and through for years. Yes. And I'm excited for you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm, again, as someone who kind of out of chance has had to use social media a lot more than I ever anticipated, it was a really informative conversation. And I hope other people feel the same way because it is a moving target. And at least we've gotten this one point down. Great. Well, thank you for having me. If you don't know how to use social media properly or haven't taken the time for some self-reflection as to how it affects you, it, it can be a scary place. There's truly so many dark holes, tangents, dead ends that can distract us from both the good parts of social media and real life. On the flip side, though, I have appreciated, especially as someone who is attempting to be a title holder this year, the positive aspects of social media that have allowed me to continue doing some parts of my work. And I've definitely connected with a lot more people than I could have if I was only connecting with them face-to-face. Well, so we know there's good and bad to social media, but unfortunately that is all for this week's episode. You can follow us on Instagram at Science and Society to catch our new releases, upcoming topics, and our science shenanigans. And, of course, be sure to tune into Episode 6 coming out on October 19th. Peace, love, and science.